Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we ask that you would uh, pour your blessing on us, that you'd open our eyes, and that you change us as we seek to know you better. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, over the last four weeks, as Blake's been explaining, we, we've been looking at this concept, this idea, this word called grace. We've been talking, we just sang about it a little bit uh, earlier, of course. It is amazing, this grace, because it has an amazing power. And what is it? Well, God's grace is God's kindness to us when we don't deserve it. Our, his kindness to us when we don't deserve it. That's what grace means. And grace is a theme we want to be present in our church community. It's our prayer that we will be transformed by grace to love both each other and the world. Now, we've heard that grace justifies us when we are guilty. We've heard that grace frees us when we're enslaved. And we've heard that grace teaches us to live a life that looks like Jesus Christ's life, out of thanks to God. That was last week. If you didn't hear the previous sermons on this series of grace, uh, they are available on our website. You can listen to them there. Today we're going to complete that series by hearing that grace is enough for us when we are anxious about missing out. That grace is sufficient. And I want to end with three specific challenges to us all as members of St. Mark's, for how we can get the transforming power of grace moving, circulating, flowing like a good blood system, circulatory system here at St. Mark's. But first of all, let's turn to that passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and that remarkable thing that Paul the Apostle said there. You've got to know about Paul is that Paul's been through it all. To say that he had a rough time in his life would be an understatement in his mission to share Jesus with the world, in his desire to see people know about Jesus Christ, he's been beaten more than once, he's been abused, he's been chucked out of town, he's been exiled, he's been rejected, he's been shipwrecked, and he's been slandered. And that's just before breakfast. It, it really has been a hard road for him. And then he speaks in this passage about something else that's happened. He says, I had, I was given a thorn in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh. And we don't really know what he means here. He just says, I had this messenger from Satan to torment me. We don't know what it was. Whether it was it some ongoing illness, uh, physical or mental? Was it arthritis or epilepsy or some other painful condition? Because he says, in the flesh, we tend to think it must have been something physical. Whatever the case, it wasn't pleasant. And it was the kind of thing that made you think, uh, I'm just going to give up. I, I should despair. Why has God made me weak when... I need so much to be strong here. It would be good for me to be strong. Surely God wants me to be on my game. And he pleaded three times for God to take away his thorn. And you can imagine uh, Paul at prayer. I'm sure we've prayed these sorts of prayers before as well. God, look, I just, just take this, this issue away. Whether it be a physical or a, a mental or a personal or a work issue. Please take this away. But God had said to him, this is what Paul reports, God did not say, yes, I take it away. God had said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace, he said, is enough. Now, we live in an age with a desperate anxiety about not having enough. We have a word for it. FOMO, I've mentioned it from this pulpit before, the fear of missing out. At 8 o'clock, of course, I had to explain it and actually tell them it was a word. I'm sure that's not the case here. You're all hip and with it, etc. FOMO, the fear of missing out. Now, one of the ways in which 
consumerism gets us motivated to buy things, and we find ourselves going and buying more and more things, is by giving us an underlying sense that there's just not enough stuff to go around, so I'd better get my share before it's all gone. If I don't grab what I can while I can, I will be an unfulfilled and incomplete human being. What if I don't get to travel? What if I don't get that extraordinary experience of travelling around the world, of that wonderful feeling of leaving the tarmac at Kingsford Smith? What if I don't get the house that I'm looking for? I don't get the, the apartment that we're looking for to live in? What if I don't get the recognition that I deserve? What if I don't get the presence that I uh, am after? It leads to a kind of restlessness of the soul, which is the mark of an entire society at this moment in our history. And I know that because I feel it myself. I feel the pain of, of looking over the fence and thinking, you know, there are people who've got more than me there and I'm going to miss out if I don't get on with it. I really better do something about that to grab more. We develop this scarcity mentality, which leads to a constant fretting about time and resources and opportunity. Will there ever be enough? And then there's that moment when we experience what Paul experiences, that moment of suffering, when your body is not capable of being what you want it to be, when you receive a thorn in the flesh, whatever that might be for you, that reminds you of your weakness. Well, what then? It's a sign of our deep anxiety about this, that we find the thought of becoming disabled almost too horrible to bear. We even think dying would be better than being in a wheelchair. To have a disability is, for our FOMO culture, to be almost a non-person. Because surely, they are, just, they are just missing out completely. But grace is different. Paul was not healed. But he was told something else. My grace is sufficient for you. That's what God said to him. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, you could hear God's voice is very stern at this moment, very headmasterly, as if, or, or like a parent saying, you've had enough, no more. There's no seconds tonight, you haven't eaten enough of your firsts. You could be hearing God saying, sorry, Paul, you're just getting greedy, wanting to be free of pain when you've already got grace. And you maybe could read this as Paul being quite stoic in response, grin and bear it, that's the message. Well, but that's not what grace means. That's not what Paul himself had ever said about the word grace. He's described grace as this super abundant thing. It's not a stingy allowance. It's excessively more than we need. It's God's generosity just flowing down. And God, as Paul describes it, as Jesus describes him, is not a stingy God, but completely generous. He's not the God of just what we deserve and no more. He's the God of blessing. Now, two stories from Jesus' life show us this. The first one we had read tonight, that story of the feeding of the 5,000, that extraordinary story with two fish and five loaves. And it wasn't as if when Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, and I have often wondered, because I don't like fish, what I would have done at that. I guess I just would have had the bread. But you notice that it's not just kind of enough to go around that it's 12 baskets left over. It's an extraordinary overabundance of food that Jesus makes for this extraordinary crowd. And do you remember the story of the wedding at Cana, where Jesus made wine out of the water? 
And you remember that the wine he made is not the, the kind of stuff you get in the box, in the cardboard box, that really kind of sets your teeth on edge. You know, the stuff that you really only want to ever drink out of a plastic cup. It's the Grange Hermitage that he makes. And gallons and gallons and gallons of it. It wasn't bitter cask wine. It was the heavenly wine. Enough and more than enough. That's God's grace. God's grace is a delicious blessing, overflowing. But you might be saying, wait a minute, how is this a comfort to me in the pain and weakness that I experience in my fear of missing out? My body is aching. My mind isn't what it was. My family relationships aren't working out. My finances are in a mess. I'm aching with loneliness. I'm depressed. What good is grace to me? And none of those examples that I've just met are, are, are theoretical because I talk to people in, uh, at St. Mark's and I can tell you that these things are, people, are things that people are experiencing all the time, every day. What good is grace to me then? How is it of any benefit at all? Well, God's grace is enough because it is plenty. What does God's grace give us? It gives us our forgiveness and it gives us our freedom. And by giving us forgiveness and freedom, it gives us a future. It gives us a future out of the loving heart of God when we did not deserve it. God, Jesus Christ, died for us. And when we repent and believe the good news, when we accept Jesus Christ, there is now nothing that can condemn you. There's no one who can accuse you. There's no one who can say anything against you if you are declared innocent in God's sight in Jesus Christ. And nothing can threaten you anymore. You are, you are absolutely secure. Paul says in the book of Romans, he says, Can anything separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? If we have the love of God that's in Jesus Christ, can anything separate us from it? Can our physical and mental weaknesses defeat us? Can our unpopularity defeat us? Can our poverty and loneliness defeat us? Can our failings and incompetence defeat us? Can our stress defeat us? Can our mistakes defeat us? Can even our sins defeat us? Can even death defeat us? And not even death can disappoint us because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And that means being freed of FOMO. It's an end to FOMO. It's being freed of the anxiety of not having enough because we are already full of God's blessing of true and lasting hope. We've got it. We have it. We have God's sufficient grace, which is enough and more than enough. Can you see how this understanding ought to transform us? How it ought to transform our community? What would a people, a group of people who really understood that they had the plentiful blessings of God look like. They'd look a lot like Babette's Feast. Now, Babette's Feast is a story written by a novelist called Isaac Denison, although that was her nom de plume. Her real name was Karen Blixen, and she wrote a book called Out of Africa you may have heard of. Babette's Feast was made into a movie about 20 years ago, 30 years ago maybe, and uh, it's just a little tale. Uh, you may not have heard of it. But it tells the story of two elderly, unmarried sisters. Uh, they live in Denmark on, in a coastal village. Their names are Martine and Philippa. 
And in these small villages on the remote coast of Denmark, windswept, kind of unpleasant land, cold, blustery land, and they lived there because their father had been a pastor in a small Protestant church, which was very severe. And so they'd moved away to be away from the world, to make sure they weren't tempted by anything. And this small community had started up in this remote village on the coast of Denmark. Well, that was years ago. And the pastor is long dead. And now his two sisters really oversee the community of, um, of believers here. And they're all getting very old, living a very plain and austere life. And like any group of people that's lived together for a long time, there are bitternesses, long-held grievances. There are unresolved tensions between the members of this small community. An atmosphere of distrust and suspicion and not a lot of joy in life. It's a very grey picture, except for one person. And that person is Babette. Now, Babette is the housekeeper of the two sisters. And how she came to be the housekeeper was that she was escaping the French Revolution. She had nowhere to go. And she landed on their doorstep and said, I need a home. I'll work for you as your housemaid for free. And so, so she does. And 14 years later, she's still working there in this home. The only link with Babette's past is that every year she takes out a lottery ticket. She has a friend in Paris who buys this lottery ticket for her. And she finds out whether she's won or lost each year. That's the only link with the past. Only one year, 14 years in, she discovers that she's won the lottery. 10,000 francs she's won. Of course, that sounds, it's a lot of money. That's all we know. I don't know. I can't translate it into modern dollars. But what does Babette decide to do with her winnings? Does she say, fantastic, I'm out of this terrible windswept place on the coast of Denmark with these horrible, boring people? No, what she says, she comes to the sisters and she says, I'm going to prepare a delicious French meal for you and for your church that will be an expression of my love for you. What she doesn't tell them is that she will be spending all of her money on this meal. So she sends to Paris for the lavish ingredients, sumptuous and exotic, and they start to arrive in crates, crates of champagne, uh, caviar, and lobsters all come in their crates. And as they arrive at the house, the sisters can't believe what's coming in. They start to get very worried that they will be sinning with the sin of luxurious sensuality if they, uh, if they indulge in this feast and they have a conference and they say, well, what we'll do is we, we can't give this gift back, so we will eat the meal. But what we do, and we'll tell everyone in the church, you're not allowed to say anything good about the meal when it's happening. You're not even allowed to mention it. You just eat it and we'll make polite conversation but not mention the food. Otherwise, we might give in to sensuous luxury or something like that. But there's one person who's been invited to the meal who's not from the church. He's been invited by the, uh, a, a, local, a local lady and he is, in fact, a famous general. A man of the world. He's been around the world and he can't help himself as he sits down to the banquet but glory in the meal. And keeps saying how extraordinary it is. As it comes out, seven courses, one after the other. One of them is quail in a puff pastry shell with foie gras and truffle sauce. That's just one of the seven. He drinks the finest wine, he says. I've never tasted wine like this. And the food is better than the food in Paris restaurants, he says. And as he gushes about the food, he can't help himself. The other guests start to warm up. Their defences melt. Old loves reignite. Ancient grievances are forgiven. People start to smile and laugh and enjoy being together. Those faces that have been kind of set like concrete in a, in a frown for decades start to loosen and smile 
And an unheard air of peace and harmony and joy settles over the table. It's only at the end that Babette reveals to the sisters that she had spent every one of her 10,000 francs on the meal and that she'd been a famous chef in Paris before the revolution. Her money is completely gone, but the community is completely transformed by her act of grace, of sheer grace. You and I are invited to the table of God's magnificent and sumptuous grace where he has prepared a belt-tightening feast for us. And sharing that meal together will transform us too, just as it transformed the guests of Babette's feast. And we see some of that transformation actually going on in our midst. And I, I don't want to kind of sound like this is a triumphalistic story of how great St. Mark's is, but sometimes you need to have someone like the general actually say, you know, there's good stuff happening here. Grace is actually working among you. And so we've seen people join in connect groups who've never joined them before. We've had people at our church who are over 80 years old, never been in a connect or Bible study group before, who've said, I've never understood the Bible before. I've been going to church all my life and I've only understood it now. And we've started three new groups like that this year. We've seen our children's and youth ministry go from strength to strength. We started an after-school club. And at the recent morning tea that I held, people told me that they said, look, I really value the growing sense of feeling like this is a community, like I know people and people know me. We did a survey last year called the National Church Life Survey. And in that survey, 89% of people at St. Mark's said they had a strong sense of belonging to St. Mark's. 84% of people said it was easy to make friends. We've seen new people join us at all our services through our baptism and our wedding ministries, and we've seen people come to faith and find in themselves growing a faith that was perhaps only an ember when they arrived. We've seen people invite people to church, to our dinners and to our other events. Let me tell you about the lady at our 8 o'clock service who is, I haven't asked her age because you don't ask a lady her age, but she is closing in on 90. She invited to church a, a young couple that live in her building. Uh, they've got a baby and they've been coming to church at 8 o'clock with her ever since. It's an extraordinary act, I think, that she just innocently and with utter humility invited them uh, to church and along they've came. Earlier this year, I spoke to a small group of people about a person who's in need in our community. had really hit a financially uh, difficult spot. So I just emailed about five people in our community and within an hour, I had the several thousand dollars that was needed to cover this person's desperate need. Uh, that was extraordinary. We had sufficient resources to help them. We're becoming better at welcoming people from different cultural backgrounds. And we're becoming a more diverse place. We've been blessed by our interactions with mission partners, especially with Rough Edges up at Darlinghurst and with the Living Water Ministry in Redfern. We had a great dinner just this last week celebrating that. Now, as I said, much of what happens at St. Mark's is done quietly and without fuss and not with the intention of having it broadcast so we can brag and boast. That's not what we're intending to do. But sometimes, as I say, like the general in Babette's feast, we need to stop and notice the effect of God's grace and give thanks to him for what we experience. But I say all that because there's more for us to do as well, to open ourselves to God's transforming power. And I'd like to offer you three concrete ways to share in that journey. The first is something that I mentioned last week. The way we are going to be transformed by grace as a community to love the world, to be extraordinary, starts with you and with your prayers. It starts with you as an individual. 
It's like turning on the taps of grace when you go and you seek time with God. It awakens us to his goodness and mercy. If we're a community of prayerful people, how extraordinary would that be? If we just start there. The survey, going back to that, said last year that 39% of people at St Mark's spend time in prayer most days. Now that's 12 months ago. I think that number's really increased this year because uh, there are now more than 100 people from St Mark's reading the daily devotional emails that we send out. If you'd like to do that, just email me your address and you can join that, that practice. But let's be better. Let's open ourselves to God's spirit this year by doing even better in prayer. As individuals, let's pick up the habit of regularly talking to God about our needs, thanking him for what we have and confessing our sins to him. Is that something that you could attend to? Are you one of the 39%? Well, now perhaps the 50%? Can we raise that number and say, every member of St. Mark's is a person who prays regularly, even just a little bit. Just as a good football team needs its members to work on their individual fitness and skills, and by the way, if you are a member of a football team, uh, work on your individual fitness and skills, because it's good for the team, right? If we've got a team of fit players, well, I can't make you all fit. You've got to work on that yourself. But we're going to be a great team if you're all fit. That's the same, the same is true of church. If you are spiritually fit, if we're spiritually healthy, then we're going to be a more spiritually healthy community. So that's your first thing. That's the first thing to invite you to. The second thing, I'd like to invite you to the invention of serving here at St. Mark's. We've got a huge well of spiritual gifts here at St. Mark's. We've barely tapped into yet. By, by the way, what I mean by spiritual gift is anything that you do with your time or your talents or your energy that is used to build up God's people. It doesn't have to be super super spiritual sounding, it doesn't have to be anything, it can be doing something as simple as, uh, as, as helping in the office. It can be extremely uh, ordinary and it will still be spiritual because of the use to which it's put. Each member of St. Mark's has a role to play in serving somehow. It may be something as simple to committing to pray for a, for a particular ministry. A friend of mine, to use another football analogy, a friend of mine once said, you know, going to church is not like going to see the swans each week. We sit in the stand and you watch the players perform on the field. Hopefully they perform. They did okay this season, so you probably had a good season watching them from the stands. Fantastic. But that's not what church is like. With church, you actually are the swans. You're on the field. You're playing. And through us serving one another, God's grace will work its transforming power. So how can you serve? Well, the possibilities are only limited by our imagination and our time. And so what I'd like you to do is to take out that, um, that um, uh, sheet that you've got. Let's see. And, uh, and have a look at that. Can I just, can I just grab, grab it? Thanks. Now, there's a couple of things. And uh, if you're a visitor with us, of course, I uh, apologise that this has been a bit of an in-house talk this week. But... Um, if you could fill in the comment cards, that would be fantastic. We'd love to know if you'd like to serve here at St. Mark's as well, though. Um, you can see this, this is a kind of one-size-fits-all sheet, and, and I'd love you to write on it and write extra things in it. So, um, for instance, the word praying, um, that could be leading in prayer here at St., at, in the services, but it could also be, look, I really think I'd love to learn how to pray with people. 
uh, the ministry of prayer, but also um, I'd like to dedicate myself to praying at home for particular things. Um, so prayer could take any of those things, and you might, um, you might uh, write in, specify what you mean. Uh, we've got music. It says singing and an instrument. Of course, please tell us what instrument it is um, so we know whether we really do want to have bagpipes um, to sing along to. Um, probably not, though. No, no, um, no disrespect to any uh, bagpipes. Bagpipists. Um, technical assistance, of course, that can mean anything from doing the AV, looking after our sound uh, desk and our, uh, our PowerPoint, but also anything to do with the web design, anything to do with managing our database, anything to do with the internet, anything to do with uh, the technical side of running church. Hospitality, and that can be having someone in your home, but it can also be organising events to which people could go out to. Um, I talked to a, a person a while ago and they said well, they love curating, they use the word curating, curating dinner parties. And they'd love to curate some dinner parties with, with conversations that could be had, that could be extraordinary. Assisting with advertising, marketing and, uh, and publicity, the whole gamut there. We really do need uh, people to, to help with handyman uh, abilities. There's all sorts of things that we could, uh, we could do with if people have that kind of capacity. Assisting with children's and youth ministry doesn't have to, you don't have to be um, up the front teaching them. It can be all kinds of ways in which assisting with children's and youth ministry could take place. We've got lots of children's ministry going on, so there's heaps of opportunities. Uh, pastoral care can be just looking out for people or being on our pastoral care team, ready to assist when need be. Um, providing food, uh, taxing people to church. There are people who find it hard to get to church, especially elderly people. And so if you've got some time in the morning to drive someone to church, uh, it mightn't be that you actually go to that service, but if you did that, that it could be extraordinary. We could put you to work. Um, there's some other things too. If you've got financial gifts, we'd love to know about that. Well, there might be something in your professional life where you go, you know, that could really uh, be of use here at St. Mark's. Um, the other thing is, of course, you've got the, uh, the um, I would like help to know how to best use my gifts here. And you could tick that box. You could add anything you'd like to. So if you could be doing that form, We'd love to hear from you how you, could, uh, you feel you could serve here at St. Mark's and we'd love to have an opportunity to invite you so that we actually maximise the potential, the gifts that God has given us here um, at St. Mark's so that grace can really flow here. Now, um, I should say, by the way, filling in this form is not signing yourself up for hours a week. That's really important. Um, and it's not a guarantee, as I say, bagpipes... Maybe not. But you never know. So I'll just give you a minute to, uh, to fill those out. And then what you'll do, if you, if you fold it into, into four, and we'll put it in the offertory bag as it comes around at the end. And while you're doing that, the third thing I wanted to mention is that we're starting a course in the next 12 months. We'll be starting in the new year. A course which introduces people to Jesus Christ. That's the third thing we want to see because if we've been transformed this, by this extraordinary grace, this extraordinary, extraordinary, abundant generosity of God, we want others to share in it too. And we want a way to do that. So uh, we've uh, engaged Erica. You met Erica a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, she and others are going to be helping set up um, an evangelistic course, a course where people get to, in, a, in an unthreatening way, get to ask their questions and hear about the gospel. And so what we're going to need from you, of course, is prayer for that, and there'll be other ways to assist with that course. Of course, looking out for people who might be interested in that too, with more information to come. Okay, let me pray. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the transforming power of grace. We thank you for the extraordinary story of uh, your love for us in your Son. 
and for the way in which um, it, was, it was enough, even in the midst of uh, Paul's despair. We thank you for that extraordinary moral model of the power of grace. We thank you for forgiveness and for the hope that it brings. And we pray that we would be a people transformed by grace so that uh, we, would, uh, we would hold out that word, that people would see Christ in us. Um, we pray now, especially as we seek to use our gifts, that you'd fill us with your spirit and enable us to do that uh, to your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.